Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of New Books Network. I'm Sharoni Dasgupta and today we'll be speaking to Naomi Moland. She's Senior Professorial Lecturer at the American University of Washington. Her research and teaching focus on global media, international education, peace and conflict, LGBT rights and the globalization of pluralist ideologies. Her recent book, based on her award-winning dissertation, is called Can Big Bird fight terrorism, children's television, and globalized multicultural education, published in 2020 by Oxford University Press. The book explores the dilemmas of localization, diversity, and tolerance on the Nigerian version of Sesame Street. Dr. Molin's current research investigates the cultural and religious dynamics of global LGBT rights movements. Her works has been published in peer-reviewed journals such as Comparative Education Review, Urban Education, and Global Education Review. Thank you, Naomi, for talking to us today. Tell Thank us you so much for having words, me. Tell us in a few words about yourself and how you came about interested in this project. Sure. So, um I started my my PhD after teaching for six years, teaching elementary school in the United States. Um, I taught in Phoenix, Arizona, with predominantly um, Mexican recent Mexican immigrants, Mexican immigrants, and then I taught in Spain for a year, also in schools that had significant immigrant populations. So for a long time, I've had interests in kind of how do education systems. Um, address diversity among their students, and how do they help? How, how do they try to help um, intergroup coexistence and building national unity and tolerance and and multicultural ideals and 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 what and that kind of thing? And I was really interested in looking at that in other countries. So when I learned about um, the various international versions of Sesame Street, of which there are more than 30, or there have been more than 30, um, not all of them are currently airing, um, and that are viewed by by more than 150 million children around the world in many, many countries around the world. I was so curious about how did their messages about, um, especially about peace and intergroup tolerance and diversity, how did those messages translate into different settings? Um, and how did this kind of similar format of the Sesame Street model that that one of the main goals of Sesame Street since its inception in the United States has been about teaching tolerance and, and respect, mutual respect and understanding between different ethnic and racial groups, as well as religious groups and all kinds of diversity. I really wanted to see what that looked like in other countries around the world. So that's how I came to this project. 
Um, I chose to work on the Nigerian version of the show, partly because it was new at the time when I was studying it. So I thought it was a perfect time to get in on the questions that creators were grappling with as to how to localize the program into the Nigerian context. And also, um, and also I had experience in West Africa. I had lived in Ghana before and, um, and, and had a lot of interest in, in, in um, the West African setting. And so Nigeria was a, a perfect setting for me to kind of look into this uh, project. Thank you so much for that. Um, like you said, Nigerian was uh, sorry. Nigeria was chosen as a side due to regional conflict and religious differences that were charging groups like Boko Haram, right? Um, and Boko Haram literally means Western education is forbidden. So through this, the book also raises a very important question on how multicultural education can contribute to peace building. So can you also elaborate more on that? And if you could share the method methodology that you've used. Sure. So um, first of all, I would say, you know, as a bit of a, to, to, um, to clarify a little bit, I don't think that the show was necessarily originally designed to, you know, combat Boko Haram or as a, as a counter message to Boko Haram, but it kind of happened that the, the first years of the show um, coincided with really the height of, of Boko Haram when significant um, violence was happening in the Northeast of the country including, you know, that was perpetrated by Boko Haram, but also perpetrated by the Nigerian government. And the Nigerian government has been widely critiqued for human rights violations and for, you know, for example, rounding up people who look Muslim and um, detaining them extrajudicially. And there have been many executions and, and, and whatnot. So there's been, you know, widespread reports of, of human rights violations by the Nigerian government in response to the violence um, by Boko Haram. But as I was, when I was there, you know, it was is sort of emerging, you know, one of the goals of the show from the beginning had been to teach, you know, ethnic tolerance and coexistence, especially because Nigeria has many divisions within it, as many countries do between ethnic groups and between religions. So then it came into this interesting spot in Nigerian history and in the current events there, where part of what they were trying to teach was coexistence between Muslims and Christians in the country against the backdrop, against the backdrop of extremist um Islamic uh, terrorism that was existing in the country, and that presented special challenges to the to the program, as as you can imagine. Um, of course, the vast majority of Muslims in Nigeria were victims of Boko Haram and not part of Boko Haram themselves. Um, but it was uh, the the issues of Boko Haram kind of, I think, in many ways, shaped the program and shaped how it was trying to teach tolerance. Uh, and coexistence amidst a very tense uh, national context, national context that way. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned as well, um, Boko Haram, the name Boko Haram, the way that it is often translated is Western education is forbidden. And, um, and, and may, you know, in many complicated ways, I won't go, I won't go deeply into the, the group, but, you know, they were an anti-elitist um, group and, and Western education, to them, from what I understand, symbolizes elitism in some ways and symbolizes the parts of the Nigerian government, both Christian and Muslim, and by everyone who had really failed northern Nigeria in terms of providing social services and that sort of thing. So some of the grievances around that definitely contributed to um, to 
the insurgency um, by Boko Haram. So into that question, your question about kind of what can multicultural education do regards to in regards to peace building, that's a very difficult question um, to answer. And one of my one of the points of my book is kind of like maybe not much. I think we see this in many conflict affected societies where we have enormous amount of hope that education can change everything and make a peaceful world. And sometimes we need we might need to kind of temper that hope by situating it, you know, situating education in the broader social context where it faces enormous amounts of of obstacles. And I'm not just I'm not meaning to say, of course, that education and, and further developing education in countries is a bad thing or that it's not useful at all. But I do question some of the ways in which it's assumed to contribute to to peace building. So, you know, the 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 theory, I think, of the assumptions behind some of the work that Sesame was doing was um, if we can help to build some some of the creators that worked on the program, including Nigerian creators and American creators, because it was co-produced um, between New York's office Sesame Workshop, as well as many Nigerians in Nigeria who, who had an enormous amount of control over the over the show. Um, some of them saw that the show could hopefully contribute to children being more tolerant of one another and therefore less likely to be recruited into, you know, extremist groups or be radicalized into, um, you know, insurgencies in the future. Of course, that kind of thing is impossible to measure. You can't, even if the children who watch Sesame Square, which is the name of the program today, um, the Nigerian version of the program, even if the children who watch Sesame Square watch it today it, and, and someday, you know, didn't become extremists or terrorists, uh, it would be impossible to measure what effect Sesame Square had on that because they are receiving many other influences on their lives, of course. Um, and that's, of course, that's such a longitudinal, that would be such a longitudinal study, which would be tricky in many ways. But, but the goals, the beliefs was that at least, some of the beliefs were that at least Sesame Square could help to promote positive messages that could counter some of Boko Haram's messages. So Boko Haram said, you know, in in certain ways that Western education is forbidden and that, for example, girls shouldn't go to school and that maybe no one should go to school. And um, and although, again, Boko Haram's goals were wider than just targeting Western education, um, I think they did at some point begin, you know, kidnapping students out of schools and um, and targeting schools and targeting teachers um, and students in in complex ways that um, you know many uh, many many people may be familiar of the kind of bring back our girls campaign that was in response to a particular kidnapping by Boko Haram of girls from a school um, you know so Sesame Square focused on okay we want to focus on the fact that you know promote messages that girls should go to school that girls and boys are both equally capable of learning and, and should be able to go to school and that learning is fun and that school is fun. And those were messages that were, you know, targeted towards the the show's target audience of like two or three to seven year olds, very young children. Um, but they were against the messages that Boko Haram was perpetrating of that girls, that many children shouldn't go to school, but particularly girls shouldn't go to school. And then, you know, Boko Haram obviously was not, promoting messages of ethnic or religious tolerance either. And so by promoting messages of ethnic and religious tolerance on the show, I believe that Sesame Square 
also was attempting to address um, some of the possible root causes of of um, of of divisions between people in the country and then trying to say, okay, how can we help to build peace and national unity using these tools of, of multicultural education? You also asked about my methods, so I'll shift briefly to that. Um, I focused for this book on the production of the show. My research questions were really based around how do Nigerian creators translate this American model of multiculturalism via Sesame Street into the Nigerian context? And how do they grapple with the dilemmas of localization and the dilemmas of multiculturalism that will likely arise as they try to make that translation into the, the project. So it's not a reception study. I did not interview children um, or parents. I didn't try to, I didn't really do research to try to figure out how the show was being received. Um, you know, that said, I, I heard and read about that in different ways, but my focus of my study was really on how do these um, educators and creators who serve as these kind of cultural intermediaries between the United States and Nigeria, um, how do they make decisions when it comes to um, how to create a Nigerian show that 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 has American roots? Um, so I interviewed, I did um, in-depth interviews with all kinds of creators who worked on the show, including, you know, people that were like the executive directors of the show that had the enormous influence on the show, all the way down to, you know, puppeteers and uh, camera people and um, script writers and all the different, you know, a lot of different people who worked on the program, um, again, in Nigeria and in the United States, uh, to try to really learn how they were creating this program and what kinds of, um, what kinds of challenges and obstacles they faced and, and how they overcame them. So in addition to, to a significant amount of interviews, I believe I interviewed um, 72 people total. And then I did a, a follow-up a few years later with more people at the American, at, at Sesame Workshop in New York to learn more about kind of how the program was going and learned some about their other projects. I also did an episode analysis where I watched all 78 episodes of Sesame Square. And I had the theme song stuck in my head for about a year of my life, which is, you know, there's worse things that happen with research. So that was okay. Um, and I coded them to try to really see what kinds of messages was the show, including related, especially to diversity multiculturalism, mutual respect, you know, religious tolerance and national unity. And, um, and that, that episode coding definitely had a lot of influence on my findings as well, because I wanted to see, okay, how do these actually come out in the show? Another piece of methodology that I really, really liked the way that it turned out was what I called co-viewing interviews, where I would watch a short segment of Sesame Square with one of the people who'd worked on the program. And I would ask them, you know, what were the decisions that went into portraying Hausa and Yoruba children playing together in this segment? You know, um, what were the yeah, what were the dilemmas that arose as you were trying to make those decisions? Do you like the way that the episode turned out? Would you do anything differently next time? And that really was very that kind of um, methodology was very fruitful in really being able to get into the the minds of the creators and see what what they were grappling with as they tried to make the show culturally relevant for Nigerian children. And then I did also do some observations in classrooms around Nigeria where they were using Sesame materials or um, they, they weren't usually watching episodes of the show in the class, in classes, but Sesame Workshop 
um, distributed educational materials related to the show, such as flashcards and a story mat and books and little paper puppets to, I think, 2,700 schools around Nigeria. So that was a major part of their outreach related to uh, the program as well. Um, so those were my main uh, methodologies that I did to gather the, the data um, for this book. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Thank you so much. Um, so many have grown up watching Sesame Streets during their childhood. So how do you think a children's show can contribute to peace building? Sure. So I think it is interesting to look at the American version to start, you know, start there and look at the American version and think about how when the show first came out in 1969, so it was it was almost exactly 50 years old when my book came out. It's now like 50, 52 years or I guess on its 53rd year, maybe for 53rd season. So it came out in 1969 in the United States and was very much linked into the kind of great society movement and the and and coming off the heels of the of the civil rights movement. And it had an integrated cast, you know, from the first day, there were black characters and white characters and Latinx characters and a character in a wheelchair and um, a deaf character, like from the very, very early seasons of the show, um, who were integrated, who were integrated, who lived in the same neighborhood, who hung out with one another, who were friendly with one another. And that was um, unusual on television at that time. Uh, Famously, it was banned in Mississippi when it first came out because it was seen as kind of a too explicit of a pro-integration message when a lot of the fights around around school desegregation and whatnot were going on. Um, so in the United and in the United States, the program has really grappled um, with all kinds of issues over the years and has has done extraordinarily extraordinary work to grapple and, and tackle really complex issues in the United States um, related to you know over the years they've had especially in recent years when they have a character with autism, they have um, puppets on the show who talk about their parents being incarcerated. You know, they've always had mixed race couples on the show and single parents and, um, you know, sort of showing kids that there could be all kinds of families. And, um, uh, and again, you know, people with disabilities have been included on the show, people who speak different languages, um, you know, sort of showing diversity in all kinds of ways has been um, has been part of the American show's ver- uh, goal for the past 50 years. Um, I'll just say a quick note here about about LGBT characters on the show, because I think that that's been an interesting um, thing to watch. And it's something that I'm interested in because of, of other research that I do. And also because I have a son who's three and I'm in a same sex couple. I am married to a woman. And so I, of course, I've been thinking about this in, in a personal way for my own self of, of what kind of representation is there on children's media of, of same sex parents. And that's something I think that Sesame has, has grappled with in some complex ways, including the fact that if they were to have an outwardly gay couple on the show, I think that could challenge some of their programming in other countries. So for example, you know, there's been the rumor 
since for many years, or you know, people joke about Bert and Ernie being gay. And um, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, uh, there was one of the writers who'd worked with Bert and Ernie who kind of said that he he had imagined them as gay and he was gay and he he had thought about them in that way. And at the time, you know, Sesame Workshop, this was just a few years ago, you know, came back and said, no, you know, they're not gay. Muppets don't have a sexual orientation. Um, you know, they're just friends, which was an interesting move. And I, I think part of part of that move on their part was that Bert and Ernie are on international versions of the show in many countries around the world. So if they did come out as gay in the United States, I wouldn't be surprised if that could get the show taken off the air in some countries around the world. So I should say that that Sesame since then, and even in the last couple of years, has had um, a gay male couple on the show. I think they were just kind of visiting the show. I don't think they're regular characters from what I have learned. Um, but anyway, I'm on a bit of a, a tangent there, but that's been a really interesting issue for me to watch with how the American version uh, works works with the diversity. So, so just getting back more broadly to kind of like how can, um, how can television or how can multicultural television shape build you know build peace and build peaceful coexistence um, in societies we know you know from a lot of research that that multicultural education and diverse representation in media is important for two reasons probably many more than two reasons but i organize my thinking around this in kind of two ways one it's important for minority children be that if they're in a religious minority a sexual orientation minority a uh, ethnic, racial minority, et cetera, to see themselves, to see themselves represented on television and in media, partly because that helps them to feel like they are a part, that they are normal, that they are a part of society, that they, um, you know, that they're, that they're recognized, that they're represented, that they're, um, that the norm doesn't have to be and shouldn't be, you know, white, straight, families or white straight males um, who are Christian, that that other kinds of minority groups in the United States need to see themselves represented. And the belief that, so, so for them, we know that that's important. And then for the whole population who are not minorities or just everybody, it's important for children to see, again, the diverse groups that are represented in the society, even if those children are not a part of those diverse groups themselves, um, even if they're part of kind of a more mainstream majority, it's important for them to learn about the diversity and learn about their society um, with the goal that uh, that learning about another group and about their history and their norms and whatnot can, can reduce um, discrimination against them and reduce prejudices and stereotypes about them. Um, and so we see that again in the Nigerian version of Sesame Street. Um, many children in Nigeria have little interaction. It's, it's tough for me to even say that sentence because it varies greatly by region and whether you're in rural or urban areas, etc. But many children in Nigeria might not have much interaction with other ethnic groups um, because the ethnic groups are somewhat regionally segregated, right? So the, the North is predominantly Hausa, the Southeast is predominantly Igbo, the Southwest is predominantly Yoruba. Um, again, of course, there's some mixing, there's a lot of mixing, especially in the urban areas, but, but generally it's very possible that people in many parts of the country will never meet or will not meet someone for a while who is of a, of a different ethnic group or a different religion. So a goal with a, with a show like this can be somewhat related to 
kind of contact theory. You know, in, in the 1950s, Allport talked about contact theory, which in a way is a very simple theory or a hypothesis that when you have contact with someone who's different from you, you are less likely to be discriminatory or oppressive of them. You're more likely to be tolerant and understanding of them if you've met someone or had contact with someone. So people who look at issues of diversity on on media and maybe especially children's media, think about that. If I've seen children who are different from me and I can see that they are that they have a lot of commonalities. So for a Yoruba child in Southwest Nigeria, if they can see a clip um, on Sesame Square of House of Children, like there's a great clip at the end of an episode that I'm thinking of where a house, a child, it's a live action film. So it's not puppets. It's actually, you know, it's children and, and their families. And, and the girl just says, you know, today my sister's getting married and this is how we celebrate. We eat special food and we wear special clothing and we dance and we play music and, um, you know, everyone, all families come together. She's just describing things that she would also have in common with a, um, with people across the country, right? With people who are, um, with other kind of ethnic groups that just show, okay, maybe we have a lot in common as well. Oh, look, I live in Southwest Nigeria and I'm Christian and I'm, I'm, uh, Yoruba, but I'm also at our weddings, we also wear special clothes and eat special food and have music and dance and bring our families together. So, so trying to also educate um, children about the commonalities that they have with people who are different from them might help to shape how they think about others in their, in their country and to kind of build um, peaceful attitudes towards them and peaceful um, understandings and, and more tolerant uh, worldviews that way is is a, a big goal. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, so good listening. Um, finally, how did you decide the title of the book? Good question. Um, there were some that did not like it. Uh, there were some who, you know, didn't want who who saw you know, linking Big Bird to fighting terrorism as inappropriately political. Um, I think Sesame Workshop strives to to not be political, to not, um, yeah, to, to not take to not take sides or not not align themselves too closely with with political goals. And so, um, to to frame Big Bird as as fighting terrorism in some ways, I think for some people, kind of connected um, the show and connected the characters on the show in ways that they didn't agree with as far as sort of is Big Bird part of the U.S. military? You know, is this a is this a way to is this linking somebody too too closely to counterterrorism movements? I think also a lot of the counterterrorist movements from the United States, of course, over the past 20 years since 9-11 have been critiqued in many ways, including for um igniting Islamophobia in complex ways and for, you know, there's a lot of human rights abuses around the world that have been done in the name of counterterrorism over over the last couple of decades um, that many times have um, have been disadvantaged, disadvantaging particularly for Muslim populations. Um, the reason I chose to frame the book that way anyway uh, despite some of the creators of the show not maybe wanting to frame it quite that way was because 
because I did see this sort of fascinating um, coinciding of the program with with the insurgency of Boko Haram and the fact that it was beginning um, at the same time at the same time when Boko Haram was was really very much at its height. I mean, it's still continuing to attack today, so it's not over by any means. But um, and 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 again, there were there were some of the creators of the show who did see it. I think as as more linked of kind of saying, listen, if we can create more peaceful, more tolerant children and more better educated children, so not just that they're teaching them tolerant worldviews, but hoping that children around the country can also learn their alphabets and and numbers and all kinds of important educational outcomes with the belief that more educated people are less likely to participate in extremism or terrorism. That in itself is, is somewhat controversial in the scholarship. You know, most scholarship would suggest that, that, that um, more educated people are less likely to participate in extremism and tolerance, but, and, and extremism and terrorism, excuse me, but that's not always true. But some of the creators of Sesame definitely believed that um, if this program could help to build more peaceful worldviews among children in the country and to increase education levels among children across the country, then that could help to contribute to peace and help to make children less likely in the future to participate in violence against other ethnic groups um, or other uh, religious groups that way. And again, you know, I mentioned this before, but I also saw, saw some of the show's messages, the Sesame Square's messages, particularly those messages related to, I, I saw some of those messages as, as directly countering the messages of Boko Haram, including messages promoting girls' education, telling kids that they should go to school, that school is fun, that school is important, that boys and girls are equal and should be treated equally, than, and boys and girls can both do whatever they want, and also messages about um, about tolerance, which which kind of and, and ethnic and religious tolerance and coexistence, which were direct counter messages to the messages that that Boko Haram was communicating through its activities. And so, with that, with all with that framing, um, I decided to call the book "Can Big Bird Fight Terrorism." to really interrogate these questions of what children's media in particular, but more broadly, what education can do um, to help uh, counter extremism and build more peaceful societies. Thank you so much, Naomi, for talking to uh, New Books Network today and uh, giving us your time. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I enjoyed it.